Happy Monday, everybody, and welcome into Bet to Win here in the Wire Studios at the Win Las Vegas. Hope you had a tremendous weekend. I know I did. Big show for you here on Monday. My guy, Nick Dace, we had him on Thursday, bringing him back here on Monday to recap a wild UFC 277 card and the fallout for what's to come from those fights. The Lioness is back. Amanda Nunez owns the bantamweight title once again. We'll talk to Nick about that as well as the AFC West. But before we bring him on, unfortunately, I've got an L to hold as I end the month of July with a loss. Still made profit. Ended at four and four, but plus one and a half units on the month. Thanks to my parlay I hit early last week. Going to hope to get August off to a strong start. Um, MLB deadline, MLB trade deadline. It's at Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time. Uh, hopefully, the Juan Soto saga comes to a conclusion. Um, we will have a full breakdown on Thursday. Try to get Pat Light in here on the show to discuss what happened uh, at the MLB trade deadline. The biggest trade so far, my Mariners trading a number of top prospects, three of their top five to be exact, for Luis Castillo, the Reds ace who comes to Seattle, has one more year of club control before being a free agent in 2024 as the Mariners push some of their chips all in. Uh, big news of the NFL on Monday morning. Uh, Deshaun Watson announced he will be suspended by six games as ruled by Judge Sue Robinson, who is the arbiter in this case, as the NFL handed over to a third party. Um, Roger Goodell still has the chance to overrule, flex his powers as commissioner, um, and appeal uh, in this case and make a decision himself. My guess is that he does not do this. Because remember, Roger Goodell serves the owners and is the owner's best interest financially for this to stop being a storyline sooner rather than later. And there will be some outrage in some circles, but the NFL money machine will continue to roll on and appealing will only piss off the Players Association and continue to keep this in the headlines as the season is about to begin. Now as, the, as camps across the league are in full swing, the calendar has turned to August. I would be shocked if Roger Goodell stepped in to appeal here. Um, it's disheartening to see him get only six games. I know a number of people agree with me. A number of people disagree. Um, and as I saw some people mention, it, it does follow the letter of the law of what the personal conduct policy is in the NFL. But if you have a personal conduct policy that leads to DeAndre Hopkins, who has a trace of PEDs in a, in a test is the same six games as Deshaun Watson, who faces 20 plus uh, sexual assault accusers. You need a new personal conduct policy. Calvin Ridley's out for this entire season because he bet on games that he wasn't playing in. Now I'm not saying there's no wrong there. And you have to keep the integrity of the game intact. But it still doesn't sit well with me, doesn't sit well with a lot of others. If Certainly, if you are a victim or know someone who's a victim of sexual assault, it doesn't sit well with you, certainly. Because so often we see that there is no justice. And Deshaun Watson has now uh, settled with nearly every, every accuser except one. That includes Ashley Solace. This came down on Sunday. Ashley Solace was sort of uh, the figurehead um, of all of the accusers. Uh, she has now settled. Uh, I want to reference a tweet from Charlotte Wilder um, of Fox Sports. 
uh, and it says, uh, and this is reacting to Tom Pelissero saying, uh, Judge Sue Robinson uh, in her decision said that Deshaun Watson's pattern of behavior was egregious. That's a quote. Pattern of behavior was egregious, but notes the behavior was, quote, nonviolent sexual conduct, which brings in some really weird gray area that I think Charlotte sums up perfectly. Any form, this is Charlotte's tweet, uh, of what this refers to as, quote, sexual conduct that isn't completely consensual is a form of violence. So the basis of any argument for the absurdly weak suspension is completely false and very dangerous. I think that's very well put, and I couldn't have said it better myself. It's, again, Charlotte Wilder of Fox Sports at The Wilder Things. Um, not much else to say. I, I think we all saw this coming. I don't think anyone should be surprised that it was just six games. Um, but the Browns will get their quarterback starting in week seven. On top of this, it is worth noting, and Warren Sharp, uh, Sharp Football, noted this. The Browns have the easiest schedule, weeks one through six, with only two teams projected to have a record of 500 or better and only two games on the road. Deshaun Watson will lose 300 grand and change uh, over this suspension because the contract was backloaded. He had the suspension uh, insurance put into his new uh, $300 million deal um, and his $46 million signing bonus. All of it is straight to his pocket. No harm done financially for Deshaun Watson uh, in terms of what this punishment is. Uh, now six games, he will be suspended in the 2022 season. Uh, let's bring in our guest. I want to bring Nick Dayus in, the host and founder of Blue Wire's Veterans Minimum Podcast. Follow him on Twitter, at Nick Dayus 10 Nick, we had you on on Thursday. Had, you bring, had to bring you back, and we'll get to the AFC West, but what a wild card. UFC 277 didn't disappoint. Four of the five fights on the main cards uh, ended early. Only one with the decision, and that was the main event between Amanda Nunez and Juliana Pena. Um, where the Lioness is back and reclaimed her belt. What did you make of what happened on Saturday evening in Dallas, Texas? Joe, as always, it's a pleasure to come on with you, my friend. I enjoy these conversations. Our parlay almost had it. Dude! And if you straight bet, if you straight bet everything, you turned a little bit of a profit, which, Joe, by the way, uh, from a betting perspective, anytime I give a parlay out, I always straight bet those picks too. Just because, you know, like this weekend, for example, we went three of four. And the the main event that you're talking about was like plus 180 to, to see the judges. So just a word, word of advice, if you like the parlay, which I do, you know, parlay poppy, I'm out here just slinging these parlays left and right. I like the straight bet as well. But as far as this card goes, it was fun, man. It, it, you got what you wanted, right? Like people like finishes. The first four fights on the main card were all finishes. And then you saw Amanda Nunez silence a lot of the critics uh, going into this fight. One of my big sort of uh, scouting report takeaways and what, what I was expecting and wanting to see was, is this the beginning of the end of Nunez? Or was it a flash in the pan with Juliana Pena winning that last fight? You know, Nunez had gotten COVID during her last camp. She didn't feel as inspired or motivated, left her gym that made her a star. And then to go out there, man, and get a 50-43, which I thought was the right score, was pretty, pretty impressive. It was dominant, but I think everyone left the fight saying, hey, Juliana Pena can take an unreal amount of damage and, and still hang in there was incredible um, in terms of just tipping your cap and respect. I, I was shocked that Nunez continually wanted to go to the ground, especially after the fight was won. She dominates the first three rounds. She just has to survive 
the final two. And Pena was most dangerous trying to get the armbar on the ground where even, I mean, I, I know she did a ton of damage. I mean, busting her forehead open, the elbows were immense, the punches were immense. But but even standing up, she was winning there because the length was more, even as she was retreating, she was able to counter to whatever Juliana Pena was throwing. Were you surprised that Nunez insisted that really the majority of the fight, especially the back half, was fought on the ground? Yeah, it was a, it was a weird approach because the the path for victory for Pena was going to be by a submission, right? Yeah. And she did threaten her a lot. She was chasing the armbar. She actually got a really good one. It was in there deep. Uh, she was past the elbow. She almost had it. Um, Nunez was just outclassing her everywhere. Uh, I mean, she caught, she had five official knockdowns. Three of them came in the second round, which in boxing, if you get knocked down three times, they usually call the fight if it's in the same round. Nunez, the power was on display. She really put on a, a a very, very elite performance to the point, Joe, where I feel like I don't really need to see a trilogy just because when it's 50-43, like, I feel as if Pena was better off just getting stunned in the first round or getting submitted and the fight ends there because then you could run it back saying, ah, you know, Nunez had a, a, a quick finish. But when it's a 50-43, 50-44, you don't really need to see it again because that's just an absolute dominating victory. A lot of fighters that I've gotten to know over the years, Joe, they actually prefer those as opposed to those quick finishes because it ends all doubt. Yeah, I agree. It's a good point. Uh, and the co-main, the flyweight title, Brandon Moreno and Kaikara France. Kaikara France, a plus 175 underdog. He was the last leg of our parlay at 19 to one. Um, he had his best round of the fight, well, I guess it only went two rounds, but he was dominating that second round. And then out of nowhere, fight's over. He gets caught with a kick to the ribs, crumples to the ground. We saw two fights end that way on the card with, with people getting popped in the ribs, and then that was it. They were done. Um, was that unlucky? Was that a lapse in focus from Kaikara France or just an extra bit of class from Brandon Moreno? That was world-class by Moreno. It's, it's not the coolest. It's not the flashiest when you just throw a ton of strikes to the body, Joe. But it's an accumulation of strikes where eventually it's not going to take much to put you down, right? People want to see the knockout and the head kicks and all these, this fancy stuff. But a lot of times, man, that body work, especially in championship fights like this one, it was going to be a five-rounder. Eventually, you knew it wasn't going to take much more to just shut your body down. And that's what happens, man. Sometimes, you know, it's a, it's a weird strike. Like, it looks like just a kick to the stomach. But in that spot right there, right above the midsection, it, it's sort of like a, a, a KO blow there. And you saw Kai Kara France. It was the third round. He third was round, down 2-0. One judge actually had it that he was up to nothing, which I thought was outrageous. But, you know, if you were a Kai Kara France backer like, like I was and we were with this parlay, I'm looking at it like, all right, you know, 30 seconds left. He clearly won round three, gets some momentum going into the next one. He was really piecing up Moreno too. Moreno looked awful after the fight. You would have thought he lost. Kai Kara France looked, you know, he was in the club with Adesanya and Volkanovski and he's posting on Instagram. Dude looked spotless. He looked like he didn't even fight. And then the body just crumbles down and Moreno goes on to, to get a stop. It's weird to round. watch because it's like a delayed reaction. Like you see the kick. I thought he got kicked in the nuts. Like the uh, yes. when you're watching it live, it kind of felt like that was the reaction. 
And then I was, the ref wouldn't stop it. So I, I, clearly I knew I was wrong. You see the replay, but it's, it's like the impact happens and it's like slow motion as he goes to the ground. You can just see the body shut down. I want to stay in that division. We'll get back to the heavyweight fight. Um, but in the flyweight division, Alexander Pantoja, minus 195, absolutely dominates Alex Perez. Uh, a submission, uh, gets on his back, 131 into the fight. It's done. The second he got to his back, you knew it was over. Um, for me, Pantoja shouldn't fight again unless a, a belt is on the line. His stock, it shouldn't risk his stock. I mean, I guess Dana White could ultimately say it's not possible, but we know that Moreno will likely get uh, Figueredo when he comes back from injury. Uh, we saw the, the moment in the ring after that, that fight uh, where Figueredo came in. They both had the belts. It was kind of this nice squashing of the beef, respect showing. But, but Pantoja was arguably the most impressive fighter of the night outside of probably Nunez. Is that a fair take that he shouldn't get back into the octagon unless the belt's on the line? Joe, this is a dilemma that a lot of fighters face on many different occasions. I mean, we could dedicate a whole show to how many times a guy or a girl has been next in line for a title shot. And then there's a little bit of an issue, right? The champion gets hurt or, or they get hurt. And you got to remember, these fighters get paid when they fight. So if Pantoja... Yes, he's next in line, but we got to wait for Figueredo to recover from his injury, which this was originally supposed to be Figueredo Moreno 4. This was going to be the fourth fight. And then over time, Figueredo had surgery. Moreno wanted to fight, so they did the interim with Kakara France. But Joe, it's, it's a weird dilemma, man. And I don't really have a right answer because I feel the fighter wanting to be active. You don't want to... Pantoja just fought now. It's July. He don't want to have to wait a whole year for... Figueredo to recover and then they have their fourth fight and then he's still waiting. So it's weird, man, but you've seen it happen time and time again. You know, a couple of years ago, the most notable one was Frankie Edgar with Brian Ortega. Frankie Edgar was next in line for a title shot. Max had gotten hurt, so he wanted to stay active. Fights Ortega, gets knocked out by Ortega, never sees the title picture again, does Frankie Edgar. So for me, I would wait for a title shot, right? You aspire your whole career to get a title shot and to be a champion. But then I also feel, man, they got to pay the bills. They got, they got expenses. So it's a, it's a great question on your end, but it's, it's such, a, such a tough answer to give. Is there any world where Brandon Moreno fights Pantoja before Figueredo is back healthy? Oh, no, no way. There's no way. Unless, like, Figueredo decides that he's not going to fight at 125 and relinquish his belt, then maybe they do a, a title fight to unify the interim with that title that's vacated. That's happened before. That's what happened with John Jones when he kind of said, I'm not defending 205 anymore. But I'm pretty sure, especially after that WWE uh, promo that they both cut on each other and having the guy come into the octagon, that was very wrestling-esque. I it think was. that's going to be your next fight. And uh, they're aiming for it to be in Brazil. Figueiredo wants to fight and defend it in Brazil. And Moreno is any time, any place. So it's going to be a fun fight. Those first three fights that they had were all barn burners and they were classics. So it's going to be interesting in the 125 division. In the heavyweight class, Sergey Pavlovich made quick work as a minus 130 favorite against fan favorite and, uh, and Texan Derek Lewis in his home state. Um, Pavlovich won with TKO. Just 55 seconds into the fight, you saw Lewis was hurt. He was stumbling. He was off balance. But 
you saw the frustration that he had immediately when the ref stepped in and made the decision. Was it a, for a main card pay-per-view, was it a, was it a five to 10 seconds too early quick decision? Should the ref have let it go just a hair longer or was it the right call? Man, it's, uh, it's been such a big debate. It happened so many times. The, the way Lewis fell, he kind of fell forward, not putting his hands down to stop the fall or to grace himself. I, I thought it was a fine stop. I was okay with the stoppage. Let me put it that way. I could see if you were angry about it, Joe. You're like, dude, that was a quick stoppage. I could see that. And then if someone else is like, oh, that was the right stoppage, I could see that too, right? Yeah. I hate playing both sides, but I think it's such a snap judgment call for the referee. There's been many times where it looks like a guy is out and they stop it and then he's like right there. Um, I don't know, man. I, I felt like it was fine. Uh, Lewis, Lewis got popped. And remember, it's heavyweight too. Yeah. I wonder if that played a role in it because we were talking about it on the last show we did. It, you don't need to connect clean at heavyweight. It could just graze the top of your head or, you know, it could catch you on the side. It doesn't take much because of the power behind it. So that's why we also had under one and a half rounds. But I, I think it was a fair stoppage, man. It's The, the referee is going to do the best he can to protect the fighter. That's their number one priority. And the way he collapses, it kind of just felt like, the end was near for Derek Lewis. Yeah, I think if you're a, a Derek Lewis backer in Derek Lewis's camp or Derek Lewis himself, you sort of only have yourself to blame. It was a pretty dominant minute from uh, Pavlovich to where you could say, okay, it was a quick stoppage, but 10 seconds later, it would have been the same exact outcome. It, it, like you mentioned, the way he fell, how are you getting back into a dangerous position where you're able to defend yourself? I, I completely agree with you. Even though I did think it was a quick stoppage, it seemed like it was inevitable where it was going. Um, and Joe, if if I could just add yeah, something please. quick to that. You, you saw in the main event how many times Pena got rocked and she fell, but she fell like on her back and she was in uh she was in in like jujitsu. That's a that's like you're not playing possum, but you're you're still active, right? Like she fell back. Yeah, she got rocked, but she laid on her back with her legs up, sort of allowing Amanda Nunez to come into her guard. So there, at least she's showing the referee. She's showing Nunez like, all right, the, the lights are on, but there's someone home too, you know? Like, it, it, it's different. But Lewis just fell face first. Uh, uh, and again, it was just, it was interesting to see two scenarios play out that way on the same card. Yeah, I think it's a great point. Uh, the punch that Pena took where she was coming forward and Nunez kind of stepped back and dropped her with the right. And it was like one of those, your momentum's going this way. You just get absolutely popped to your back. Yeah. There was about three or four of those two. She caught her the same way coming in. Yeah. Uh, let's move on to the NFL really quickly. Uh, I gave my thoughts at the top of the show. I want your just quick snap reaction to Deshaun Watson getting six games as ruled by Judge Sue Robinson, uh, uh, Judge Sue Robinson, who was the uh, arbiter in this case. I mean, dude, it's there's going to be backlash and rightfully so. Um, I think it's going to get the NFL is going to come in and, and give it more games um, from a football standpoint, like the Browns, they they're only playing one division game in this six week absence for him. So as crazy as it sounds, they still might have a chance as long as they're not like one in five or oh, and six with his absence. But it, it's just, it's not a surprise to me, dude. Like the NFL, they kind of just do what they want as long as the bottom line is filled out and 
and people are still watching. And now with the betting too, it's getting even more and more popular. But it's not a surprise to me, Joe. It's unfortunate. I'm not happy with it. But it's also like expected too. You know, uh, there's a betting show. Calvin Ridley got suspended for betting on his team when he wasn't playing and he got a full year. But based on what the NFL is telling you, it's like, all right, well, what Watson did isn't a big deal. Here's six games. And you just like, you're trying to just comprehend this. And it just, it's sad. It's unfortunate, but it's also expected on my end for how the NFL operates. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. You know, I, I mentioned it when I was going through it. When the judge says it's egregious, egregious sexual conduct or egregious behavior, but nonviolent sexual conduct, there's something really screwy with what's actually happening here. I mean, you're admitting quite a bit of fault on Watson's part. I don't know, man. It, you're right. It's not surprising. We shouldn't be surprised. I don't know if anyone is surprised, um, but certainly is. Uh, I don't know. Like I mentioned, if if you have a if you have a personal conduct policy where DeAndre Hopkins and Deshaun Watson have the same exact suspension, and Calvin Ridley has uh, triple the suspension, you need a new personal conduct policy. Yeah, the way that's, a, that's a good point. It. Yeah, uh, let's go to the AFC West. We saved the best for last, Nick. I didn't want to talk about this by myself, which is why I had to have you back on. In addition to recapping UFC 277, because. This is, and I know you have a take on this, the best division in football, unequivocally, but in your mind, the best division the NFL has ever seen between the Chargers, Chiefs, Broncos, and Raiders. Yeah, and I want to preface by saying we don't know how this is going to play out. So I'm talking about like preseason, July, August takes. I think this is the best division of all time. You look at the list of quarterbacks in this division, I mean, you got four top 12 guys, I would say. Like, I'm a big Derek Carr guy. Russell Wilson, we know about Herbert and and Mahomes. So you have four of the 12 best quarterbacks. The worst win total is eight and a half for the Raiders for a team that made the playoffs last year. And won 10 games. You have, yeah, and won 10 games. You have a Denver team in which everyone's take was, well, if they get a quarterback, they'll be great. They get a quarterback in Russell Wilson. Justin Herbert and the Chargers, I think, have the best roster in the NFL, top to bottom. And I know we've said that about the past, but I think Herbert is, you know, he's a top tier quarterback. He's one of the elites. And then you still got Andy Reid and Mahomes in Kansas City. I still trust that infrastructure. So, and you look at the odds, right? You look at the division odds, you look at the Super Bowl odds. At the time that we're recording this, heading into this season, I think this is the greatest division of all time. Yeah, it's hard to argue with. All four teams are so loaded, and it starts the quarterbacks, as you mentioned. I, I like how you mentioned the Chargers roster because I want to go through what they have, not just offensively, but defensively. We know Justin Herbert, Eckler, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, studs, absolute stars across the board, and an offensive line that they've invested heavily in with last year, a first-round pick in Rashawn Slater, Corey Lindsley, that's a good guard in the first round this year. Um, but their defense, Jerry Tillery, Joey Bosa, uh, Khalil Mack, who comes over in the offseason, a cornerback tandem of J.C. Jackson and Asante Samuel Jr., and safeties of Nasir Adderley and Derwin James. Are you kidding me? Might be the best secondary in the league, and they've got a front seven that has Khalil Mack and Joey Bosa. I know yeah, at some I mean, point dude, you expect, I, like, a, you know, the kicker to ruin it for them. Dustin Hopkins is their guy this year. So 
you know, just the way the Chargers operate, we're conditioned to know, you know, to believe that the Chargers are going to charge her. I think I said that on your show back in the fall. But you're right. This roster looks like it shouldn't lose a game on paper. Yeah, man. And I think uh, I think one of the best players in football is probably Derwin James. Um, when he's in their lineup and when he's out, it's like day and night. Uh, he's a tight end stopper. Like that that famous Thursday night football game that Travis Kelsey went absolutely ballistic. That'll happen when Derwin James got hurt in the second half. He held him to one catch for 19 yards in the first half. And then he gets hurt and Travis Kelsey goes on to put up like 200 plus yards and that 60 yard touchdown in overtime. The thing with the charges that I really like is, you know, they're playing a third place schedule. I'm someone that buys into that. And I think there's going to be some regression to the mean. They're not going to get that many fourth down conversions like they did last year, but they're also going to take points now. I think that was a learning lesson for Brandon Staley. And now I think the defense is much improved. Like Khalil Mack, I think is still an elite edge rusher. He was just in Chicago. They're winning four games a year. He's not motivated. He's not excited. You saw the same thing happen when Von Miller came over to the Rams last year. He's on a Denver team that wins five, six games a year. He's not motivated. He goes to the Rams. He's like, holy, I have a chance to win a Super Bowl. And then you see he starts to perform at a high level. So they're they're stacked, man. They got J.C. Jackson, Asante Samuel Jr., like you mentioned. Uh, On offense, they're loaded too. And they invested in the offensive line. You have your quarterback, protect them, and go after theirs. That's how... I feel like I would build a football team, find the QB, take care of him so he doesn't get pummeled week in, week out, and then rush their quarterback. And that's what the Chargers have done. I think the Raiders are worth a flyer. Certainly at eight and a half, a team that won 10 games last year, adds the best receiver in the NFL in Devontae Adams and Chandler Jones in the defensive line. Eight and a half wins. Given, yes, they have six games, they're going to be really tough. But they're going to be in a spot to win several of them. They've always played their division tough, even when they've been the worst team in the division. Um, I What concerns me about the Raiders is the secondary. I just, I'm not a big Jonathan Abram believer. Uh, Rock Yassin had an up and down time uh, in Indianapolis. Um, I just don't know if there's enough there, even though the defensive line should be studly with, we talk about Khalil Mack and Joey Bosa. Uh, you could argue Chandler Jones and Max Crosby is even better. Yeah. Are you in on the Raiders? Yeah. I'm not. No. Um, they won all their games that went into overtime. They had a great record in one score games. Uh, they had the worst point differential of any team to make the playoffs in the last 15 years. They kind of, they, their season should have gotten derailed last year with all of the chaos going on. The John Gruden stuff, Henry Ruggs, the other corner, young corner that's, posting his gun on Instagram. Like they had all these distractions and Derek Carr kept the ship afloat. Hunter Renfro emerged. And uh, I remember I had this guy on the show, uh, on my show, Joe, talking about fantasy football. And he said, he's going to lead the league uh, in like slot conversion. And he was going to catch like 80 plus passes. I was like, Hunter Renfro. So it was nice. Anytime you talk to some of these beat reporters, like they see things that the national media don't really see. And now you add Devonte Adams. I think they're going to be more exciting. I think Derek Carr at 40 to one to be MVP, I think is very interesting because now he has an alpha wide receiver. You got Darren Waller, you got Hunter Renfro. But I rather bet him as like an MVP potential candidate than buying on the Raiders. Uh, I know it kind of is a little hypocritical there, but 
I like the odds better for him as like an MVP candidate than I do on the Raiders team success because I think it could go south pretty bad for them as well. Are you not a Josh McDaniels believer? No, I am. But I also think that it, uh, a lot of that was Brady, right? And so how much of, and also his stint in, uh, in Denver, though he was young and how he kind of did the Colts dirty the way he did. It, it, it's cool him coming over there, but it, it, he's still unproven to me, right? Like it's, you've seen it time and time again, a lot of guys leave Belichick and then they're not as successful as when they were with Belichick. You know, I, I'm a Giants fan. I had Joe Judge come over and people telling me he's a second coming and dude was, you know, he's not the head coach for the Giants after two seasons. So I'm just not that high on Josh McDaniels. I think some people are better suited to be coordinators, which is not a bad thing. And I think he's one of them. Uh, the Chiefs, how concerned are you that they replace Tyree Kill and Byron Pringle with Martez, uh, Marquez Valdez-Scantling and Juju Smith-Schuster uh, with Miko Hardman still there in the mix? I am one of the few people that, like Tyree Kill leaving, Yes, it's massive for them, but I think they'll be all right. I think Miko Hardman is, uh, I'm buying stock on Miko Hardman this year. I think he's a direct replacement for Tyreek Hill. Trying to make both of them work was the issue for Kansas City. Uh, Sky Moore, who they took in the draft, I th- he's making some headways in camp too. And I just, again, I trust the infrastructure. I trust Mahomes. I trust Andy Reid. They're going to make it work. I like that Juju is on a one-year deal. Sign me up for guys that are on one-year deals to prove themselves and to get paid. MVS, he's he's going to get open three, four times a game. The question is going to be, can he catch it? Because the first year Aaron Rodgers won MVP with, with LaFleur, dude dropped like seven 40-yard touchdown passes. So Rodgers' numbers should have been even better. But I think, I think they're going to be fine. I think the defense might be worse. So they're going to have to rely on the offense to be good. But this is still a team that it, it's going to have to go through them in the AFC. Yeah, it's a it's a defense that loses um, loses Tyron Matthew, Justin Reed, and Juan Thornhill, the starting safety pairing there. Let's run through just what the lines are, and then maybe you and I can dish out a, a best bet in the division where I do think it can be hard to find value because there isn't an easy game to be had in any of them. And obviously, you play your division six times. Chiefs uh, at ten and a half wins. Chargers the same number. The Broncos at 10, and the Raiders at 8.5, the Chiefs at plus 150, Chargers plus 225, Broncos plus 275, and the Raiders 6-1 to one to win the division. Uh, Raiders, huge underdogs there. Odds to win the AFC, Chiefs at plus 500, Chargers 8-1, to one. Broncos also 8-1, to one. Raiders at 20-1, to one. and the odds to win the Super Bowl. Chiefs at 10, Chargers 16, Broncos also 16, the Raiders at 40. I think it is interesting uh, as our producer Jeremiah Crow pointed out going into this, um, the Broncos, you get a half a half a win in value uh, where 10's a push, not a loss uh, compared to the Chargers and Chiefs, 10 and a half. Uh, you also get an extra 50 cents to win the division. But when it comes to winning and to win the AFC, uh, it's same thing, same thing to win the Super Bowl, but you get the value again on the win total and the divisional price. Uh, is there anything there that, that speaks to you that, that you might want to put in or at least consider and look into more. Yeah. I strongly believe that the Super Bowl is going to stay in Los Angeles, but it's going to the other team. Okay. I, uh, I love the charges this year. They are my pick to win the Super Bowl. They were my pick to win the Super Bowl when the season last year ended as well. 
Uh, there's something about Herbert, man. I think he's a rare breed. He's a different breed. He's still on that rookie contract. And I think this is the year that they take the next step. Look, they addressed all their needs, right? They needed more edge rusher. They get Khalil Mack. They needed some secondary help and they get the best available corner in free agency. And they continue to invest in the offensive line. Uh, a guy that you should keep your eye out if you play fantasy football, Joe, is Josh Palmer. He's their second year wide receiver. Uh, in college, he didn't really put up big numbers because of the system he was playing in in Tennessee. I believe he, yep. he comes from. Yep. And he was he was like the Mike Williams replacement when they drafted him. Because remember, Mike Williams last year bet on himself. He was entering free agency. Yeah, he gets paid because he has great chemistry with Justin Herbert. And uh, Isaiah Spiller, a running back that they took, I think is going to lessen some of the workload for Austin Eckler because it's day and night when he's in the lineup too for how versatile he is. I really like this Chargers team. I think if you're the Chargers, you want to try your best to be the one seed because you don't want to go into Buffalo. That's like the thing that's holding me back the most because one of my favorite bets of the year, Joe, you can find it at five to one is Buffalo to have the best record in, in the entire NFL. and it would be worrisome if it's the end of January and the LA team got to go into Orchard Park in New York and it's going to be minus 20 degrees. But with that said, 16 to one, it's the same odds that I got the Rams last year. And, uh, you know, it's that sweet spot of where you can find a team to win the Super Bowl that, that in those teens. And I love it. Week one on September 11th Raiders at chargers to open the season in the afternoon slot. Cannot wait. I, I think there's still value on the Raiders at eight and a half wins, uh, but I agree with you. I'm someone who is on the Chargers each and every year. and They disappoint me each and every year, so I'm not going to jump off the bandwagon now that I think they do have the best roster in the NFL. As, as you mentioned, I completely agree. Not just offensively the skilled players, the offensive line, the defensive line, their linebackers are more than capable and a secondary that could be the best in the league. So, Good stuff there. He is Nick Dayus, host of the Veterans Minimum Podcast on Blue Wires Podcast Network. Follow him on Twitter at Nick Dayus10. Nick, always a pleasure, man. Thank you so much for the insight and intellect. As always, can't wait till our next conversation. Joe, you're the man. We'll chat soon, bro. Good stuff there, as always, from Nick. I love having him on the show, man. He's uh, He just adds so much to it, and he can talk anything and everything. Uh, love talking UFC. And again, previewing what we believe is the best division in the NFL. I'm not sure anyone would argue that. And if you did, um, I'd be I'd happily tell you that you're wrong. Uh, the lowest win total in the division, again, the Raiders at eight and a half, a playoff team from a year ago and a team that won 10 games. Uh, let's get to a promo. Uh, the Bet50 win $200 promo still rolls on. New win bet users can receive $200 in free bets after you make your first qualifying deposit and place your first bet on WinBet. Once that bet is settled, you will receive four installments of $50 free bets. Go to winbet.com or download the WinBet app for official rules and details. Winning pick time again. Went 500 in July, four and four, but still up a unit and a half thanks to a plus money parlay. It's a new month, and here we go. Looking to start off with a layup, an easy one. And you know what? You bet on good pitching against bad pitching. You bet on a good team against a bad team. Usually, you come out on top. I'm betting the Mets run line, minus one and a half at the Nationals, and minus 145. A little bit of juice, not so much, though. Um, fairly affordable, and I'm happy to take the lane here. Don't overthink it. The Mets are on the roads. They are assured nine at-bats. 
if we end up sweating this into the top of the ninth. It's Max Scherzer versus Patrick Corbin, one of the best pitchers of all time who has been lights out of late, who we have bet on on this show and won with of late over the course of last month against Patrick Corbin, who has quite literally been the worst starting pitcher in all of baseball this season. The Nationals are begging someone to take his contract in the Juan Soto trade. Give me the Mets at minus one and a half against the Nationals at minus 145, hopefully starting August with a sweat-free winner. That's going to do it for this episode of Bet to Win. Thank you so much to Nick Dayus. Uh, again, recapping UFC 277 and previewing the AFC West football season is upon us. We will continue to talk NFL storylines as all camps around the league uh, have begun preseason games just a week away. Uh, hopefully on Thursday, I'm going to connect with Pat Light and bring him on uh, because the trade deadline again on Tuesday at 1 p.m. Will Juan Soto be moved? Where will he be moved? What will that trade package look like? We'll break it all down on Thursday right here on Bet to Win. <laughs> 